Thanks to the band and Scott for leading our worship this morning. My name is Nigel Stapleton and I'm a member of this NBC. And uh, you're welcome to all who are listening. Maybe whether you're here, upstairs in Cafe Church, or they are awake, uh, or via YouTube or a recording which you might receive. Last week was Whit Sunday and we gave thanks to God for his gift of the Holy Spirit given, being given to us. That was not a once-in-a-year issue. That wasn't just one week when we remember that God gave his Holy Spirit. Perhaps it's something that we should look at each time we meet and we ask ourselves, Lord, Holy Spirit, please come. I make no apologies. Life is tough. And if we're coming to God this morning, are we meaning business with Him? You know, God doesn't have any apps. So if you're thinking of using an app during the service, I know that it's not for God. So kindly put it away. Because he might want to actually say something directly to your heart and my heart, which you won't get on the app. So I'm going to invite you to stand, if, you were, if you're able. I want us to stand, and I just want us to ask God by his Holy Spirit to come and be with us. In the quietness, pray in your own heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we come to you this morning. We confess that we are not the people that we make out that we are. Take away our pretense. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. Renew us from within. And may we know your love, your compassion in our lives. Holy Spirit, we confess that we came to you when we were very poor and you accepted us as we are. We come and invite you now, Holy Spirit, to minister into our hearts, into our lives, our families, your church. And we pray that your kingdom will be extended because of the time that we spend with you which is a privilege and an honor 
we worship you this morning. So, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Please take your seats. My friends, this morning, do you know Jesus? Well, of course I do, Nigel. That's why I've come to church. My friends, do you know Jesus? My friends, do you know Jesus? Jesus said in John's Gospels, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So what? So what? Jesus knows you. Jesus knows me. If the first quest, three questions that I put up on the screen, you didn't know Jesus, he certainly knows you. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my strengths. Not many. Ask Rowena. But he knows. In other words, if we know Jesus, there is a relationship between us and Jesus and between Jesus and us, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we could have that sweet communion with him. Is that something that you're experiencing as we come to, to, together? Do You know, Jesus, in saying that my sheep know me, they recognize his voice. And then if you recognize the voice of Jesus, you listen. And then if you listen, you become wanting to do what Jesus asked. And then if you come to do what Jesus asked, you want to actually get, in, you get in a thrill and an excitement and you want to come back and you want to draw your, you find yourself being drawn closer to Jesus. And so Jesus wants to say something else to you. And so you go and you go and you worship in him and you serve him. And you've become closer to Jesus. And my friends, this morning, by the power of the Spirit, we need and pray together that we will be drawn closer to Jesus. He died for you and me. The ultimate sacrifice. No other has died for you than Jesus. 
There is no other who was raised from the dead for you and for me than Jesus. There is no other who has gone to live at the Father's right hand for you and me other than Jesus. And if we don't know Jesus, how can we serve him in the community? This is the last of the series. And this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where if we say we know him, we need to personally listen to what he's got to say to us. It's no use walking out of the door. The door says pull and it'll open the door and we can go out. But if you haven't listened to him, it's a waste of time. If I haven't listened to what God wants to say to me, because I'm in too much of a rush, we lose out. From this passage, thank you for reading it from the, 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 uh, the message today. From this passage, Paul continues to encourage the church at Corinth. And there are three key words. We're talking about serving the community. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You probably know if you've got it. Don't look at, don't look at your phone to see whether you've got it on your phone. You either know whether you've got it or not. There's the app which says, what three words? And who else? Who's got that on their phone? Anybody? It just shows your age. You know, you're not quite sure where you are. But three words will tell you where you are. It'll tell you and describe your location to the nearest square meter. How about that? All over the UK. My dining room area at home is enough dozed junction. That's what he told me yesterday. So I believe the three words from this passage, the three words from this passage describe our relationship with Jesus concerning serving. In verse 2, enthusiasm. Oh yeah, I like that word. It really gets me going. The second word is generosity. Verse 6. And the third word is obedience. Verse 13. This is so accurate. It's so accurate because it would describe and it would be the nearest to the nearest heart who's listening today. Not what three words to the nearest square meter. The three words to the heart that's listening. Enthusiasm, generosity, and obedience. Well, Nigel's not known for a short sermon, and you might have a late coffee break. I could finish there, because you know what I'm going to talk about now. I believe God has these three words for us individually. And I believe that we need to encourage one another. So let's look at enthusiasm. You know, I became a Christian in Australia uh, in 1961. And I belonged to a youth group. And it was, it was great. We did lots of things together. I knew Jesus you know, we'd, we'd 
we'd jump in and we'd, uh, we'd cycle down to the beach and we'd go for a swim and we'd, we'd have barbecues. And I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to be his disciple and we wanted to learn. And so that I can tell others. We were excited. We could tell our school friends. If you become a Christian later in life, you want to tell your work colleagues. And then if you were baptized, you wanted to bring your neighbors and you wanted to tell them, I'm being baptized. Your enthusiasm was absolutely fantastic. Where's it all gone? Where's it all gone? Out the window. I can't do that. I've got this on Monday. I've got that on Tuesday. I've got this on Wednesday. I've got that on Thursday. Friday, can't do that. Shopping. Saturday, yeah, I might be able to, but I'm seeing the children. Sunday, well, might be here next week. Not quite sure. The early church were eager. They were to make offerings for the saints back in Jerusalem. Titus even went out of his way. He volunteered to go somewhere else ahead of schedule. We read this at the end of chap- in, in chapter 8 and leading into, into chapter 9. The church in Achaia were ahead of the game. They already had got their offerings together. And they were such an influence that others were feeling a bit embarrassed. It's all right for them. They've, got, they've done their bit, but we haven't done ours. And this was what I would call contagious enthusiasm. So the early church, which didn't have doors, was actually expanding and growing because they were being obedient and doing what Paul had asked them to do, was to gather the offerings together so they could take them to Jerusalem and offer them there. It's not the only section of the Bible which talks about enthusiasm. The children of Israel, way back in the Old Testament. It's nice to be able to balance the two. The children of Israel were moaning about the quails and the manna. To Moses and to God. Miriam and Aaron opposed Moses when they were near to entering to the promised land. And in Numbers chapter 13 we read that the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, I want a leader of every tribe, I want you to select that and I want them to do a special job. Moses calls the leaders together and he says, right, leaders, I want you to go on a special mission into the promised land. Just tell me what it's like. Tell me what it's like. So these, this team, it's interesting, isn't it? They were leaders within their own group. But this mission was that they were a team going into the promised land. And God said to the Moses, uh, tell them to go in and find out. So they went in. They were away a long time, 40 days. They found pomegranates, the size of which you'd not seen before. There were figs. There were grapes. There were huge bunches of grapes. So big was the bunch of grapes from the Valley of Eshkol that actually it took two people to put it on a pole and take it back home. For 40 days they did this. And then they came back to, the, to Moses and they, they said, Hey, 
we've, we've scanned the place. We know what it's like. This is what's happened. And they said, this a land flowing with milk and honey. It really is the greatest. I'm always reminded when I cross the bridge that I'm going back to the promised land. Obviously, the seventh bridge to the promised land, Wales. All right, don't worry. You'll catch up. That just catches those who are asleep. But the people said, the people are powerful. They are giants. Their cities are fortified. They're big people. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And in short, they said, don't go there, Moses. Don't go there. Hang on a minute. Enthusiasm. Caleb steps up to the microphone. Caleb steps up to the microphone and he says, he quietens the people and he says this in Numbers 13 verse 30. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. One voice against all the tribes. He was enthusiastic. He could see the potential. And Moses and Aaron, they believed they could go in if the Lord was pleased with them. But the people revolted again. But the Lord recognized the enthusiasm of Caleb. In Numbers 14 and 24, he says this. This is God speaking. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land. Let me just read that first part again. Has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Does that describe me? Does that describe you? That was his testimony. And because of that, the children of Israel, they turned back to the desert. But only Caleb was to go into the promised land at a later stage. My friends, serving the community with enthusiasm, People know whether you're enthusiastic or not. People know whether you know, you know. People will watch and listen. And they'll know whether you know Jesus. The second point is that we need to work, serve our community with generosity. Rick Warren, the pastor of the Saddleback Church in the United States, an author of the book Purpose Driven Church, says this about generosity at a leadership conference in 2012. He said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Got it? Let me just read it again. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving to the community. We need to be more like Christ. We need to be more generous. Do you know, 
and this is a really solemn point, we can never, never outgive God. Got it? Doesn't matter who you are. You may be an oligarch of the Russian stock and hierarchy, but you can never outgive God. And how often do we forget that simple fact? We must be generous with our time, our talents, our skills, our money, our counsel, our hospitality. And if we don't sow the seeds for the kingdom of God, what are we doing? Where will the harvest be? Let's look at a couple of examples. When Paul visited Philippi in Acts chapter 16, verse 11 to 15, he met Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth who worshipped God. She listened to the message of Paul and understood and obeyed by being baptized. And Paul and his companions, they needed the hospitality that, that day. Lydia had received from God... She was so excited, she had been baptized and she wanted to give thanks to God for everything. So what did Lydia do? She said, come round to my place. I'll give you hospitality. I'm not sure whether Lydia's house was a one-bedroom flat. I don't know whether it was two bedrooms. I don't know whether it had several apartments. I don't know anything about it or not. But Lydia's heart, inspired by God's Holy Spirit and brought her to a point where she wanted to be proclaimed that she was a Christian and that she wanted to follow Jesus, she said, come round to my place. Care. What about the Good Samaritan? Do you remember that? He came across from Jerusalem to Jericho, came across somebody who had been wounded, and so he gave him a lift. Oh, no, no, not in the back of his car. No, no, not in the back of a pickup truck. Not on the back of a motorbike. He put him on his donkey. And he walked. That's caring, isn't it? He walked while he took the person who needed the care was on the donkey. And he showed that care because he went back and he settled the bill. He was generous in what he was doing. The poorest can be generous. Let's not think that we're not we're not. We're too poor to give. We can all give. The widow who dropped just two coins in the temple money box. While the more fashionable people in their big gowns would go along and just drop it in. Hey, look what I'm giving. No, she just popped it in. Her gift was still a gift to God. The alabaster box of perfume which was opened and poured on Jesus' feet. Jesus said of her, she has done a beautiful thing. Paul was receiving money to give to others. And in verse 7 he says, give from the heart. Give from the heart. Not from the purse, from your heart. And these people would have known that the children of Israel would have given a tenth of all that they possessed. And I'm sure that they were, when they gave what they had, they decided in their heart it would be much more than a tenth. Why? Because it was being given back to God in a 
generous way. Because they were blessed and they wanted to give back to God. Malachi chapter 3. These are familiar words and reminds us that it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that we will not have room enough for it. Have you ever tested God? Have you ever done what he says in his word? Have you brought your tithe without robbing God to him? Do you know what it's like to say to God, yes, Lord, I will. And he says, that's what I want you to do. Be practical. Set up a bank or a savings account or a standing order. I happen to believe, and this is me personally, along with Rowena, I happen to believe that this is why we should consider ourselves not 10% of what is left over, because if we have 10% of what is left over, by the time you've taken the mortgage out, by the time you take the car payments out, by the time you take the food bill out, by the time you take the school, school issues out, by the time you've got everything else, there's very little left, and you generously say, I'm going to give a tenth of what's left to God. No, no. Let's be a bit more generous to God, can we? Let's start where we mean to begin. Start with a 10% for God first. And he will look after the 90% that you need to live. Going back to Rick Warren. When he was to marry, he and his fiancée agreed that they should uh, be generous to the Lord year on year. So in year one, they gave 10%. In year two, they gave 11%. In year three, they gave 12%. In year four, they gave... And so it went on. And after 37 years of marriage, Derek Warren and his wife now give 91% of their income to the Lord, and they live on the 9%. When times were tough, it got down to a quarter percent, but he promised before God that he would always increase the giving to God. Whatever our income, we do not lose out by giving one-tenth to God. And we need to be efficient in our ways that we do it. We can give with, through gift aid where possible. Paul was a leader of the church. And he exercised particularly about the money that they were going to give back to Jerusalem. And leaders... We need to be careful not to, about the handling of offerings in the church itself. To be efficient and effective in the distribution of monies for the kingdom. Generosity in action. 
honor Jesus in all our ways. It brings us closer to Jesus. For where, Matthew 6 reminds us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And demonstrates my faith in God because I, I tithe and I trust God. If you know Jesus, invest in God. Give to him for the kingdom of God. Grow up. It's not about me. To sow well for the kingdom. Be generous and share. Finally. Finally. Finally doesn't want to happen. Obedience. Serve the community with obedience. In Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12 and 13, we look at they gave, they had given, you continue to give, Paul writes basically, and he says you've proved yourselves. You have not only supplied the needs, but also you give thanks to God. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of faith. You remember when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, what about your attitude? Look to the interests of the others. They should be the same as Jesus. Your interest, you obeyed and God's words uh, were, were, were manifest and we give thanks for that. Some time ago I spoke in this church. I'm sorry uh, for those who are standing outside and waiting, but I really, uh, we're going to have coffee a little bit late. I spoke about a man of God. The man of God who found favor with God, he was a righteous man. He was blameless. He did everything God asked. In fact, he was everything that we are not. Yeah? But at the age of 500 years, we learn that he walked with God. Plans weren't Noah's. It wasn't Noah's initiative, but God had confidence in Noah. Obedient in all aspects, building, managing, community farming, resourcing, building the ark. But God shut the door. Then blessed Noah and his immediate family. Friends, we need to be obedient in giving to Jesus for the extension of his kingdom. And are we really serving the community? Not just filling a rotor space? If we're enthusiastic, generous, and obedient. Psalm 90 verse 17 reminds us, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, establishing the work of our hands for us. How well do we know Jesus? It's like this. It's like Jesus saying to us today, life lived close to me is not complicated or cluttered. And when your focus is on my presence, many things that once seemed troubled, that troubled you, were messy and confused. Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. How well do we know Jesus?
in a few moments. In fact, if the band would like to come up. We're going to sing a song. It's called Jesus, All for Jesus. All I am and have and hope to be. All my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these to your hands. We're about the business of serving the community. Are we ready? Are we prepared? And my friends, I'm going to ask the band to play. If you can't sing the words that are going to come onto the screen in a moment, I'm going to ask you, don't sing them. Don't sing them. If you feel God has been speaking to you today, and challenging you to serving in the community. Perhaps it's time we're on our knees, asking God by His Holy Spirit to speak to us, to bring a refreshment in our heart, to bring a refreshment in our whole being for the purposes of serving the community for Jesus. I'll let the band play. And if you feel that you can stand and sing, if not, do not be embarrassed just to bow your head in prayer. Or if you want to come and receive prayer ministry, or if you just want to kneel in where you are at, come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.